0: Hey everybody, Brian McClanehan here. I've been talking about Learn True, True, History.com. You've heard about it several times in the introduction of this podcast. So get on out to LearnTrueHistory.com to get history the way it was intended to be told with no PC, no Marxism, no progressivism. But not only that, I've got my new How Alexander Hamilton Screwed Up America, my forthcoming book. So I want you to go to LearnTrueHistory.com to sign up for that great Program, But also, if you go to BlameHamilton.com, you can get in on some giveaways for my forthcoming book. So, two websites for you, LearnTrueHistory.com and BlameHamilton.com. Get in on both of those things. LearnTrueHistory.com is the place to go to learn history the way it was intended to be told. BlameHamilton.com is where you learn about how Alexander Hamilton was the greatest villain in American history. This is The Brian McClanahan Show. episode 108. Glad to have you back in the program. Glad to be here. Before we get started, just want to remind you of a few things. If you do like this podcast, please share it around on social media. And you can find me on social media. You can find me on Facebook, at Brian McClanahan. On Twitter, at Brian McClanahan. And you can subscribe to my YouTube page. Also, if you do like this podcast, please go on out to iTunes and leave a review. That does help uh, spread the word a little bit. And if you do go to BrianMcClanahan.com, you can find all of my social media links at the top of the page. Also, there you can give me an email, and I will give, you will get on my email uh, list, and I will give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, and a free audiobook of the same title, read by yours truly. If you want to support the Brian McClanahan Show, go to brianmcclanahan.com forward slash support, and you can throw a few pennies my way, help keep the lights on, help keep the podcast going. Uh, also, just remember to make sure that my name is spelled with an O, B R I O N, McClanahan.com. And don't forget that we've only got about two weeks left in the giveaways for uh, my forthcoming How Alexander Hamilton Screwed Up America. Just go to BlameHamilton.com and you'll get all the information there. If you pre-order one book, I'll give you the ebook, The Jeffersonian Solution. If you pre-order two or more, I'll not only give you the ebook, I'll also give you a free six-lecture course on Alexander Hamilton. And everyone who does uh, pre-order the book and send me a screenshot of that pre-order will get registered to win a master-level membership to libertyclassroom.com. So all of that stuff is available for you. Uh, please go on out there and uh, get in on the contest because when it's over, when the book comes out on the 18th, it's over. Uh, so you want to get on it while you can. Okay, well, today I actually want to focus on uh, something that's uh, pretty interesting, I think, anyways. And um, it's a response to a quote unquote review that was left for my nine presidents who screwed up America. Now, I've done this before, uh, sort of. You know, I did focus on some uh, reviews way back when I did a podcast on You Can't Judge a Book by Its Cover. But this one actually gets into an issue that I think is important to discuss. Now, I've already done a podcast on secession. But um, this particular review brings up a, um, an issue that I think a lot of people can't necessarily address because uh, they don't know how to have a comeback to this. So let me read the review. This was published on, on August 27th, <coughs> August 27th excuse me, of this year, so not long ago. And the title is, Hypocrisy uh, Ruins a Strict Constructionist. So from the beginning... This person, J.L. Roth, believes that I am a hypocrite uh, for what I advocate in the book. Now, um, if you want to go out and leave a, a comment for this person, feel free. It's uh, one of the one of the most recent reviews, and it's not a verified purchase. Uh, Amazon was running, and you might have seen in my emails, they were running the book for a $1.99 Kindle version for a while. So a lot of people bought it, and I've gotten a lot of reviews since then, but uh, most of them are pretty good. Uh, but this one is uh, interesting. So let me read this to you because I think, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play off what this uh, J.L. Roth says. 1st uh, quote, This is an alt-right attempted justification of anti-government ideas. This book bases its presumptions on the idea that the U.S. Constitution is a static, frozen document that could and cannot be altered or it is voided. McClanahan ignores and declares unconstitutional any laws made by Congress to shift power or allocate authority. He declares as as unconstructional, whatever that means, any actions not specifically outlined in the Constitution. This is a strict constructionist idea and is not in and of itself wrong, laughable in modern terms, but not wrong. It is his hypocrisy in applying the idea of strict constructionism that invalidates his argument." His assertions that point out the several revered presidents can be tarnished if we look at how they stretch the power of the executive to new lengths is absolutely correct. However, this quickly dissolves in the chapter of Lincoln to a justification of the legitimacy of the Confederacy. Let's face it, he's wrong. His strict constructionist point suddenly wavers to, quote, well, it doesn't say they can't when he talks about succession. There is no provision in the Constitution for allowing the states to nullify the Constitution or their owed allegiance to the Federal Republic. The hypocrisy of changing from, quote, it doesn't say you can do that to to condemn, to, quote, it doesn't say you can't do that as justification smacks of an attempt to cling to the war of Northern aggression nonsense. By his own logic, if the framers meant there to be an out, they would have created one. They didn't. That makes secession a rebellion, a traitorous act against the constitutional form of government. At that point, he has lost all credibility and I stop reading. This is a problem I have with most ultra-conservative interpretations and strict constructionists. They want it both ways and always start twisting when they try to tackle the era of the Civil War. And when I read this author has stated Trump is the kind of executive the founders envisioned, not a shred of credibility left. All right. So, first of all, I don't believe the person even read the book. uh, Simply because uh, it's not a verified purchase. And they, they listed it under Kindle Edition. Now, again, a lot of the reviews I'm getting come from the Kindle Edition because of that cheap uh, $1.99 price, uh, and for a time, this book was advertised uh, on America Online, and so they were advertising the Kindle version of it, and so a lot of negative reviews came from America Online reviewers who saw that advertisement and just decided to go write a review of a book they had never read. This happens on Amazon all the time. But let's get into some of the things he says here, and uh, first of all, there's so many um, misspellings, poor grammar, et cetera, et cetera. But I want to tackle a particular issue that he brings up. I mean, I'm, I'm making fun of this review because it's stupid. But first of all, this is an alt-right attempt. From the beginning, the guy is very clearly someone who has not read the book. Uh, anytime you see someone go out, and there's another review on here uh, that was um, also fairly recent uh, where the the person uh, said the same thing. Uh, and again, the the uh, alt-right uh, position. They, they um, uh, let's see. Yeah, the is from Donald Greco, who apparently went to a top law school and a top graduate school, and I am an embarrassment to academia. So I'll get to that one in a minute, too. That one's fun. But this one, uh, alt-right attempted justification of anti-government ideas. Now, first of all, the book is not a justification of anti-government ideas, it's a takedown of presidents who uh, did unconstitutional things. So it's not anti-government, it's anti-unconstitutional government. I think that uh, anyone who thinks that unconstitutional government's a good idea, well then of course you're going to be uh, a neoconservative or someone on the left. Uh, but it's not anti-government, it's anti-unconstitutional government. And he says this book bases its presumptions on the idea that the U.S. is a static U.S. Constitution is a static, frozen document that could and cannot be altered, or it is voided. Well, I never said that. In fact, the last chapter of the book talks about amending the Constitution, that is, altering the Constitution. J.L. Roth. Uh, so I I say you can't. Um, I say you can alter it by amending it, but you can't do it without amending it, and that's the whole point of the book. So uh, this person says uh, this is laughable, laughable. So um, laughable in modern times, but not wrong. Um, and I, I don't know what um, I don't know what uh, some of the things that he says here. Uh, it's it's um, anyway. Some some of the points he makes are just kind of silly, but. Um, now, th- this sentence doesn't make any sense, but at least he's trying to give me credit. He has assertions that point out that several uh, revered presidents can be tarnished. We're looking at how they stretch the power of the executive to new lengths is absolutely correct. Yeah, well, of course. Um, he has commas in there that don't make any sense, but that's, that's the point. So he's actually saying, well, I agree with that. But then he gets to the point about S-U-C-C, succession is what he says. So, of course, that's a, that's a misspelling. So let's talk about this idea of secession as being an va- a invalidation of a strict constructionist argument. Because this is one that people often bring up, well, uh, you know, su- uh, secession, or in this case, his quote, succession is not an enumerated power in the document. If the founders had wanted or at least thought the states could secede, they would have placed that power in the document itself. And so, therefore, anyone who says secession is constitutional is, you know, is uh, becoming a hypocrite when you look at their, quote-unquote, strict constructionist credentials. So, uh, let me talk about that. Uh, now, the Constitution is a compact between the states. As it clearly says in Article 7 of the Constitution, it is a compact between the states so ratifying the same. Now, when you look at the Constitution, you have to understand what that means. The states voluntarily entered into this agreement and they granted, as I've talked about in the podcast I Grant You the Power, they granted powers to the central authority. Now, who's doing the granting? The people of the states or the states themselves. They're granting those powers to the central authority. And I always go back uh, to a collection of uh, essays <clears throat> essays written by Tench Cox under the pseudonym of freeman uh, and i'll and I'll talk about those in a second to define how this worked. so the state said to the central authority, okay, article one we're going to outline the powers of Congress, and not only that article one section eight we're going to outline the powers of Congress and those are the things that the, cons- the, the Constitution allows the general government to do. Those things only. Now, you can look at um, you know, Article One, Section 7. You can look at Article One, Section 8. Uh, you can look at those particular articles to find the powers of the Congress. Now, of course, the executive branch has certain powers. And the Supreme Court, the judicial branch has certain powers. There's no other courts that are outlined in the Constitution. It says Congress can create inferior courts. There's also several other things in the Constitution uh, in in other articles that Congress can do. Uh, But the Constitution was, the, the basis of it is that if it doesn't say it's in the Constitution, you can't do it. For the general government. Okay. And how do we know this? How do we know that the state governments, their powers are different? Because of Article 1, Section 10. Article 1, Section 10 is the key to understanding how the states are different from the general government. Now, what do I mean by that? How does Article 1, Section 10 clearly show that? We know that because Article 1, Section 10 is a negative It's a negative, okay? So if you've never read Article 1, Section 10, I'm going to read some of it. Article 1, Section 10, quote, No state shall enter into any treaty, alliance, or confederation, grant letters of mark and reprisal, coin money, emit bills of credit, make anything but gold and silver coin, a tender in payment of debts, pass any bill of attainder, ex post facto law, or law impairing the obligation of contracts, or grant any title of nobility, no state shall, without the consent of the Congress, lay on any imposts or duties on imports or exports, except what may be absolutely necessary for executing its inspection laws. And the net produce of all duties and imposts laid by any state on imports or exports shall be for the use of the Treasury of the United States, and all law, all such laws shall be subject to the revision and control of the Congress. No state shall, without the consent of Congress, lay any duty of tonnage, keep troops or ships of war in time of peace, enter into any agreement or compact with another state or with a foreign power, or engage in war unless actually invaded or in such imminent danger as will not admit of delay. That's Article 1, Section 10. What that means is that these are the only negative powers on the states according to the Constitution. In other words, all else else can be done by the states or should be done by the states or must be done by the states. So that means in Article 1, Section 8, where it says, Congress shall have the power to, and then it lists all of the powers that Congress shall have the power to do. Those are the only powers that Congress has. All else is prohibited. But in this particular case, Article 1, Section 10, these are the only things the states cannot do. But all of the powers are reserved to the states. Now, of course, Article 1, Section 9 has negatives on the federal power. And it also has in Article 1, Section 8 the positive grant of power. To say that somehow I've gone to a loose construction position because I say states can actually secede from the Union, whereas the Constitution doesn't say anything about a state seceding from the Union, is a poor argument. Because every other power not listed in the document in Article 1, Section 10, is reserved to the states, as the Tenth Amendment clearly says. And one of those powers is the ability to withdraw from the Union. If it doesn't say a state cannot withdraw from the Union, then a state can withdraw from the Union. It doesn't say in Article 1, Section 10, no state can withdraw from the Union. No state can withdraw from the Compact. It doesn't say that at all. I just read you Article 1, Section 10. There is not a prohibition on a state withdrawing from the Union. Now, there are prohibitions on states doing certain things. Now, let me address that. Because people will say, well, it says right there you can't enter in any treaty alliance or confederation. You can't enter into an agreement or compact with another state. That's true. It does say that. However, if a state withdraws from this particular compact then it can enter into a compact with another state because it's no longer under the uh, obligation of the U.S. Constitution. It's no no longer under this particular compact. It would be an independent republic, just as Rhode Island and North Carolina were when they did not ratify the Constitution by 1788. They were independent republics. So these are the only things in Section 10 the states cannot do. And if you look at a corresponding, they correspond to the powers in Article 1, Section 8. Article 1, Section 8 allows the general government to control commerce. So this is why the states have restrictions on what they can do in terms of commerce, Impor, and uh, exp, or imports and exports, imposts and excise taxes, um, when it comes to... Um, I'm sorry, imports and export taxes, excuse me. They can't do those things. They can't engage in war on their own because in Article One, Section 8, the U.S. Congress has the power to declare war and raise armies. Now, if they are invaded... They can engage in war, uh, but not on their own. They can't go out, you know, the state of Virginia couldn't have gone out and declared war on Great Britain on its own. It would have to do it through the United States Congress. So there is a corresponding grant of power to the central authority when these states can't do that. But anything else not listed is for the states to do. So let's look at what uh, Tench Cox has to say in his Freeman Essays. In fact, the first Freeman essay was published, uh, let me see here, in January of 1788. And one of the arguments, of course, against the Constitution, those who were saying this thing is going to be dangerous, is that they were saying it's going to force a consolidation of the states into one national government. And Cox actually addresses that in this particular essay. He said, quote, The consolidation of the United States into one government by the operation of the proposed Constitution appears to you to be the consequence of the system and the intention of its framers. This is the point of the difference which I mean to treat of, and for the present I shall confine my observations to it alone. So basically he's saying that this is not going to be the case and he makes a point he starts listing all the things the Congress cannot do the Congress cannot do under this Constitution so he says this they meaning the Congress cannot interfere with the openings of rivers and canals the making or regulation of roads except post roads building bridges erecting ferries, establishment of state seminaries of learning, libraries, literary, religious, trading, or manufacturing societies, erecting or regulating the police of cities, towns, or boroughs, creating new state offices, building lighthouses, public wharves, county jails, markets, or other public buildings, making sale of state lands and other state property, receiving or appropriating the incomes of state buildings and property, executing the state laws, altering the criminal law, nor can they do any other matter or thing appertaining to the internal affairs of any state, whether legislative, executive, or judicial, civil, or ecclesiastical. They cannot interfere with, alter, or amend the constitution of any state, which is admitted, now is, and from time to time will be more or less necessary in most of them. So basically he says here, look, the states, the the Congress can't really do anything except what's listed in Article 1, Section 8. And you look at all these things. Now, I've listed off several things the general government currently does. That means it's unconstitutional government, according to the Friends of the Constitution and how they were selling the Constitution to the states. So this is a Freeman One, January twenty-third, 1788. What did he say in a Freeman Two, which was one week later, January thirtieth, 1788? He says this. Um, the several states can create corporations civil and religious prohibit or impose duties on the importation of slaves into their own ports establish seminaries of learning erect boroughs cities and counties promote and establish manufacturers license taverns alter the criminal law constitute new courts and offices establish ferries erect public buildings sell lease and appropriate the proceeds and rents of their lands and of every other species of state property establish poor houses, hospitals, and houses of employment, regulate the police, and many other things of the utmost importance to the happiness of their respective citizens. In short, besides the particulars enumerated, everything of a domestic nature must or can be done by them. Must or can be done by them. There you go. So, in the case of saying, well, strict construction applies to the states, only in Article 1, Section 10. Those are the only things a state cannot do. Everything else is reserved. And one of the reserved powers is the ability to say, guess what? We don't want to be part of this compact anymore. It's not hypocrisy. It's not loose construction to say the states can secede because there's no express provision in the Constitution that they can. In fact, Everything that's not listed there against the states, in Article 1, Section 10, the states can do. So people often say, well, it's the Tenth Amendment. It's the Tenth Amendment that means the states can secede. They can secede because of the Tenth Amendment. But you have to understand how to argue that position. If you just say that, you're not really arguing the position. What you're saying is, well, I don't know where I can find that power in the Constitution. Well, you don't have to find that power in the Constitution because Article 1, Section 10 is the only part of the Constitution that prohibits the states from doing anything. Everything else. Oh, well, it does say the federal government can guarantee a Republican form of government in the states. Okay, so they can't have a monarchy. But everything else, everything else is reserved to the states, including the right of withdrawal. That is exactly what Tench Cox is saying. And of course, there are other people that essentially said the exact same thing. And I point you to probably the most important speech ever made on the Constitution in the ratifying period, and I mean right after the Constitution was written. And I say it's the most important speech because everyone played off this speech from this point forward. And it was made by James Wilson of Pennsylvania. It's called the State House Yard Speech. He gave this speech in front of the Philadelphia State House on October 6, 1787. So the ink had only been dried on the Constitution when it was signed for less than a month. You're talking about 19 days. He goes out and he makes this speech. And so he says this, Quote, It will be proper, however, to mark the leading discrimination between the state constitutions and the Constitution of the United States. When the people established the powers of legislation under their separate governments, meaning the states, they invested their representatives with every right and authority which they did not in explicit terms reserve. And therefore, upon every question respecting the jurisdiction of the House of Assembly, if the frame of government is silent, the jurisdiction is efficient and complete. Meaning, what he's saying is the powers of the states are indefinite but in delegating federal powers. Another criterion was necessarily introduced, and the congressional power is to be collected not from tacit implication, but from the positive grant expressed in the instrument of the union. He's saying there are no implied powers in the central authority for federal powers. Hence, it is evident that in the former case, everything which is not reserved is given, But in the latter, the reverse of the proposition prevails, and everything which is not given is reserved. This distinction being recognized will furnish an answer to those who think the omission of a Bill of Rights a defect in the proposed Constitution. For it would have been superfluous and absurd to have stipulated with a federal body of our own creation that we should enjoy those privileges of which we are not divested, either by the intention or the act, That has brought the body into existence. So what he's saying here is, look, the states are unlimited in power because they have tacit implication. But the general government, the federal government, has delegated powers. And if it doesn't list it, you can't do it. But the states can do anything that is not prohibited by Article 1, Section 10. Including secession. And how do we know that the founding generation thought this? Because they started pushing for secession barely five years into the new document. You had Rufus King and Oliver Ellsworth corner John Taylor of Caroline in the cloakroom in the Senate and say, look, John, how about we break this thing up right now? Clearly, we're not going to get along. North and South have different views on government, society, etc. We need to get out political economy, so clearly, the founding generation thought secession was not only possible, but legal, entirely legal. They had acceded to the document in September. Uh, by the, the delegates had acceded to it by signing it. Of course, the states did not accede to it until they ratified the document. All of those states by 1791 or 1790, uh, with, uh, with the last state being Rhode Island, so they had acceded to the document, so and therefore they could secede from the document through conventions. The same conventions that ratify the document could say, we no longer ratify this document, we rescind our ratification. And that's what happened in 1861. In 1860, you had the states of the South, beginning with South Carolina, say we are seceding from the Constitution. In essence, and if you read these declarations of secession... They say, South Carolina clearly says, we are rescinding our ratification of the Constitution. We no longer ratify it. That's secession. They don't say, uh, now, there was there were people in the South that said, you know, we need a Declaration of Independence. That's what we need. But the argument was it's not necessary because we have the ability through the conventions the voice of the people, the same thing that created the Constitution, the same thing that ratified the Constitution, can then go out and uh, say we rescind our ratification of the Constitution. Same thing. Same thing. So I think that's a very important distinction to make and one that we need to understand when you talk about secession. Point to Article 1, Section 10, and then use the Tenth Amendment argument, but you have to understand how that works. You have to understand where that Article One, Section 10 argument comes into play. And you can use the Tenth Amendment to defend secession, don't get me wrong, but you have to understand how that works against the Constitution and why it would be the case. Why, when the friends of the Constitution said, look, the general government has, has enumerated limited powers, the states, everything else, James Wilson, an ardent nationalist, is standing out in front of the state, Philadelphia State House, saying this in October of 1787. Now, let me do that last little thing by Donald Greco here, in and uh, in also published in August. Now, he actually bought the book; it looks like, um, because he, he, um, it's a verified purchase. But this is his review. Quote, this is a conservative, alt-right, revisionist history of the presidency and the Constitution. It is misleading, biased, and like most Republican propaganda, plays fast and loose with the facts. First of all, I'm not a Republican. There are many, many great histories of the presidency for you to read. If this subject interests you, do not waste your time with this book. This is not history. It is thinly veiled right-wing propaganda, meant to mislead and misinform the unwary and uninformed. Shame on you, Dr. McClenahan. You are an embarrassment to academia. When did saying that we should follow the Constitution become some uh, thinly veiled right-wing propaganda? That's aw- I mean, that's funny to me. When you think about it, the left shows that they have complete disregard for the Constitution. They don't care. When did following the Constitution become some right-wing propaganda? That's, that's odd, isn't it? But that's where we are today. You know, you say, look, we should have you know, limited power. The central government has enumerated powers, and if it doesn't say you can do it, you can't do it. Now, that's right-wing propaganda. I guess the, the, the founding generation, the friends of the Constitution, would all be right-wing propagandists, because that's exactly what they said in 1787. And I just read it to you from James Wilson. I guess he's a right wing alt right propagandist. I guess because that's essentially what we've gotten to. Where if you say I- I'm going to go back and I'm going to look at the what the friends of the Constitution, the, the proponents of the document said, now that's right wing propaganda. So actually, and then and then somebody asked him, well, "You know, explain to me, you know, how you how you're credible?" Well, Greco responded, "My credibility is based on my law degree from a top ten rate of law school. Doesn't say which one." My Ph.D. in political science from a top 20-rated university doesn't say which one. And my 20 years of teaching university-level courses in the presidency, the history of the Constitution, and constitutional law. Now, if you look this guy up, you can't really find anything. It is not based upon my using the term alt-right, which, by the way, is a very appropriate shorthand way to describe this book. Uh, I mean, hilarious. Um, <laughs> this guy is an embarrassment to academia. Because clearly he's never read these uh, documents that are out there in public domain, the Friends of the Constitution, what they were saying. So uh, enough of of bashing these reviewers. I don't often go on to Amazon and do it in text. So I thought it would be more fun just to do it in a podcast because there are things that need to be addressed. Uh, we need to read the ratifying debates to get the meaning of the Constitution. And when you start talking about secession, it is perfectly constitutional because the states can do anything not prohibited by Article 1, Section 10. The Tenth Amendment clearly uh, re- reaffirms that point, but that's exactly how the Constitution was sold by the friends of the document, not the quote-unquote anti-federalists. They were afraid the Constitution would go completely off the rails and, of course, Joseph's Story ingeniously said that's how, well, that shows that this is what the Constitution was supposed to do. I mean, how stupid can you get, but this is what people somehow believe. Now, again, my takedown of Joseph's Story is in how Alexander Hamilton screwed up America, so go on out there and get that. But I uh, hope you enjoyed this. If you're battling with your friends over a secession legal, just, you've got several things I've done on that, but this is another answer to that and how you do it through Article 1, Section 10 of the Constitution. I'll see you next time on The Brian McClanahan Show.